Welcome back to another episode of the Plant-Based DFW Show. And in case you miss Dr. Riz being on Chef AJ's show, we uh, are uploading it to our YouTube channel and also to our podcast. If you're interested in seeing the actual presentation as Dr. Riz talks about um, his content, you can go to our YouTube channel. It's bit, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash plant-based DFW. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let us know your thoughts. Thank you. Are you ready to upgrade your health to a new level and do so by learning from experts in the field of lifestyle medicine and plant-based nutrition? Well, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast Weekly Show. We are your hosts, Dr. Rizwan Bukhari and Maya Acosta. Every week, we will feature guests who are either physicians, dietitians, health coaches, or chefs who will tell us about their journeys towards becoming plant-based and how they have helped others. And as you dive into the episodes, never forget, the more you implement these healthy lifestyle changes, the more you will upgrade your health. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. I met today's guest on the cruise a few years ago at the Holistic Holiday at Sea, and he's a wonderful plant-based doctor. His name is Dr. Rizwan Bukhari, and he is going to be talking to us today about cardiovascular disease and nutrition. Please welcome Dr. Riz to the show. It's so nice to see you again. Well, thank you, uh, Chef AJ. Uh, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Before you talk about what you're going to talk about, do you want to tell your story a little bit? Because I know you have a wonderful podcast now. You have a thriving practice. What brought you to plant-based nutrition personally? Uh, I'm a classically trained Western uh, physician. So I'm I'm trained to treat uh, disease and chronic disease. People get disease and then uh, then we treat it after the fact. And uh, and that's kind of the model I've been working with. Uh, I'm a vascular surgeon. I treat a lot of chronic disease. All my patients have atherosclerosis, hypertension, diabetes. Many of them are obese. They have kidney problems. And I, I, over time, I was getting a little bit frustrated because uh, I wasn't healing my patients. I was just, uh, you know, treating a problem and then they would go away. Then they'd come back again with another problem. And a few years ago, my wife, Maya, who you uh, correspond with a, a lot and know, she uh, took me to a Whole Foods to see someone named Rip Esselstyn, who uh, uh, we all know in this, in this field. And uh, uh, in his talk at Whole Foods, uh, he kind of challenged some uh, common uh, belief sets that I had about atherosclerosis. Basically, he said you can arrest and, and reverse uh, heart disease. You can even prevent it. And none of that stuff had been taught to me. Uh, and so I was, I was very skeptical when I came out of the talk. But uh, at the same time, it had struck a chord with me to the point where uh, it made me look further into it. Uh, and from that point forward, I started to learn about, uh, you know, the, uh, the China study uh, by T. Colin Campbell and how to prevent and reverse uh, heart disease by uh, Caldwell Esselstyn, Riff Esselstyn's father. And I was, th- I was then on a journey. Uh, and I was blown away, too, because none of this had been taught to me during my years uh, uh, as a uh, specialist in vascular surgery. Uh, and then that was, a, that was about four years ago. Uh, and I started to uh, incorporate that into my own personal lifestyle. And I also incorporated that into teaching my patients. Uh, and then my wife and I have uh, now established a, a, a group or an organization here in Dallas called Plant-Based DFW, where we uh, lecture to the community. We bring in guest speakers in, we do a walk with the doc. So Uh, Or I say we did uh, in these COVID days, we kind of stopped all of our gatherings uh, and we are focusing more on our online presence like 
YouTube and uh, our podcast. So that's kind of that's how kind of how I got here. Well, if you weren't taught this, who else wasn't taught this? Right, right. I mean, and that's amazing to me. I mean, of course, nutrition is not a, a big part of any physician's training in the past. I think it's becoming a little bit more now. And I think maybe partly due to the influence of our, uh, you know, this plant-based world, uh, it's, they're starting to pay attention to how important uh, nutrition is in our health. Uh, and so it is being incorporated in many levels at, at medical schools. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I didn't get any training. And I, I'm, I, I'm perfectly well aware that you can go to 10 different doctors and ask them nutritional advice and you're going to get 10 different answers. Uh, and, and so that's, it's, it's shocking to me. Once a patient presents to you, do they pretty much need to have what you're going to do to them? The operation is, is it too, or is it too, or can they use plant-based nutrition and then maybe not have to have the surgeries that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. Uh, and, and unfortunately I treat really advanced diseases. So by the time they get to me, um, there's been a lot of, uh, there's a lot of problems that need to be rectified immediately through, uh, intervention uh, typically, uh, an angioplasty or a stent or a bypass operation. Uh, even some, uh, as you'll see in my talk, uh, it's already too late. Uh, and I can't save, you know, like, for example, I can't save their leg all the time. So, yeah, I mean, most of the time I still have to do something to them, but at the same time I do, uh, uh, I just strongly encourage them to change their lifestyles uh, and, and their, and their nutrition, uh, in order to try to mitigate the process that's causing their problems and try to lessen their problems in the future. Uh, do any of them actually change their diet or lifestyle after meeting you? The straight answer is about, I'd say about one in 20 do. So it's not as satisfying as I'd like. Uh, but it's also a, a great testament to how strong their, the, the, their cultural and, uh, uh, how, how indoctrinated they are into this lifestyle. Uh, and especially the diet and how much uh, it's a part of them and, the, and how hard it is for them to change. So m most of them uh, can't even conceive of the idea of changing. Uh, but the ones who have, uh, I just see incredible results. Even if they won't change, do they acknowledge that, that, that it was their lifestyle and diet that caused this? Or they're like, no, no, it's just genetic. Just do the operation and leave me alone. Well, I think, I think many times, unfortunately, when they get to me, um, they, they've got that belief set that it was out of their control. They had nothing to do with it. Most of them believe it's, uh, the genetics or it just happened to them. And, and I'm, I'm the first doctor who's told them, Hey, it's your lifestyle that has a strong impact on this. And the way you lived is what's producing these issues. And so it does take a while for it to sink in, but most of them accept it and understand it because I do explain to them about the standard American diet and how bad it is and how it causes problems. Um, and, uh, and so they do understand, uh, and, and, you know, also, by the way, I, I don't try to get them to be like you and me, which is hundred percent plant-based. Uh, my goal is to get them moving in the right direction, uh, and hope that, you know, they keep going that way throughout the course of their lifetimes, like through the course of their life. So I'll, I try to get them to incorporate more healthy foods into their diet and drop, uh, you know, the unhealthy things and just keep moving in the right direction. I just want to know a lot of comments. People love your t-shirt. Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually this, uh, can you see it? Yeah. There you go. Um, this was given to me by a, a colleague and friend who, uh, had stage four throat cancer, uh, and went plant-based, uh, and he's now in a hundred percent remission. So he's a, uh, he's a strong plant-based advocate and he gave me this shirt. That's so it's one of my favorite. It's one of my I, favorite shirts. I love it. I love it. So you didn't learn this stuff in medical school. You learned it at a plant-based conference. 
once you learned it, were you angry? Were you excited? What was your response? A little bit of everything. Yeah. I mean, I think you got the idea right there. It's, I was, I was uh, astounded that, uh, that, that, that I wasn't taught this stuff and a little bit upset because uh, I think uh, the establishment is so strong that despite the fact that you can pre present them with this, what I call very strong evidence-based medicine, you know, very strong uh, uh, science, uh, and people will still not uh, accept it or incorporate it, and, and they, they continue to go with the status quo. So yeah, I've got a little bit of very mixed emotions about it. Uh, but what, what it did for me, though, is it reinvigorated my spirit as a healer uh, and allowed me then to continue uh, knowing I, I still do what I do uh, as a vascular surgeon, but, but, but by bringing this into my care plan for my patients, I'm not just fixing a problem and sending them away. I'm fixing a problem and trying to teach them how to prevent getting it again. Yeah. When, when you learned this, did you share it with any of your colleagues and how did they respond? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I work in a, a relatively small hospital. So it's, it's a tight knit community. We all know each other. All the physicians know each other and, um, and, uh, and the staff and things. So it became quite evident, you know, I'd be sitting in the doctor's lounge eating and they'd notice, uh, that my, my, I'm eating different or I'm not taking the meat from the, from the buffet line and, uh, that it's all vegetables on my plate. Uh, and, and, and yet, so it would initiate a conversation and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm plant-based. I've gone plant-based. And, um, so about four years ago, I think people looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, and, and they called, I would, they would call me the crazy doctor because, uh, oh, look at him. He, you know, he thinks that not eating meat is going to make him healthier. You know, I just continued to live my life and, and be an example for people. And here we are four years later, and I'm no longer the crazy doctor. I'm the healthy doctor. And yeah. everybody in the hospital comes to me for nutritional advice. That so must feel uh, great. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a, you know, a complete 180 degree turn. You know, they've seen me throughout the course of that time. Uh, you know, we talk about plant-based nutrition. They understand I've got lots of data and evidence and studies to back up what I say. Uh, they've seen me become board certified in, uh, uh, in lifestyle medicine. And so now I think they understand that, you know, uh, I'm not just making this stuff up and there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, credibility to it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, I think I'm a, a pretty healthy example of a person. And, and, that, and that means a lot. Well, I was going to say, because I didn't know you before, but when I look at you, you look like a very fit, handsome, trim guy. Did anything change or no? Did you notice anything when you went plant-based? Yeah, the, uh, the plant-based nutrition made me handsome again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, all, all the rest. No, I, I, yeah, you know, actually there was a, a part of that story I didn't tell you uh, is that um, um, I've always been interested in my health uh, and uh, I've always worked out. I thought I always ate what I thought was a healthy diet. Um, and I used to eat a very lean, uh, low fat uh, protein based diet. Uh, so it'd be low fat, but higher in protein and high in carbs. Uh, but I was eating meat, uh, lean meats. Um, and in my late forties, uh, I was, uh, borderline hypertensive. Uh, my cholesterol was high. My baseline cholesterol was, uh, over normal. My triglycerides were high, uh, and my blood sugar was running a little bit high. And so despite being very athletically active, I would run several times a week. I would work out and eating what I thought was a, a good diet. Um, I was starting to have the, uh, kind of 
progressing towards what all Americans do. By the age of 50, I'm going to be on some medications for lots of things. Uh, and that's about the time that I made the change to plant-based nutrition. Uh, and I, I, I kid you not, I have labs to prove this, by the way, because I had a, a set of labs that showed all these things. And then four months later, I was applying for health insurance. So I got a new set of labs. And within four months of going plant-based, my, my blood sugar normalized. My, my cholesterol was less than 150. My triglycerides were down uh, and I'm, I was no longer borderline hypertensive. So all those things went away in the course of just a few, uh, uh, a few months. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that was kind of my, you know, uh, personal experience with it. You know, it's interesting that e even when you weren't on a plant-based diet, you chose to do a low fat version of the diet you want. Why would, why would you do that? Because so many people are the exact opposite, eat fat, get thin. It seems like you knew part of the equation. Yeah, and I don't take any credit for it because this is before I had done any research, uh, before I had learned anything about nutrition. Um, the, the funny thing is this, that belief set came from my, I, I used to do P90X a lot. P90X is an exercise program. Uh, and and, uh, and that, that exercise program actually advocated a low-fat diet. Um, but they also incorporated meats into their diet as well. And so I kind of followed what they were teaching. That's terrific. I, I don't know the name of the operation, but I'm, I'm assuming that you do it. It's something my mom had and it, it was her neck, both sides of her necks. And she, she looked, ended up looking like Frankenstein with these scars. And I guess they scraped stuff out of her carotid arteries. Is that, that's, that's something you do, right? Yes, that is. That's one of my primary operations. Um, it's one of the ones I do the most of it's called a carotid endarterectomy. Uh, and so, yeah, we, uh, I, uh, it's a, there's a little bit more finesse involved in just scraping out the arteries, but yeah, we, we go in and clean out the arteries because the carotid arteries are the ones that primarily lead to the brain. Uh, and it's, a, a one of the major sources of stroke. Can, are there risks to that operation? Cause I got to say that, you know, she's, my mom's been gone for over 20 years, but she was never the same after that. Yeah, there absolutely are. And you know, the, the operation, uh, the, the, the biggest risk of the operation is actually having a stroke because we're operating on the artery that goes to the brain. So we are, we're interrupting blood flow to the brain for short periods of time. And then we can always, we always run the risk of knocking a piece of clot or plaque off and that it goes to the brain uh, during the operation. So that's the biggest risk. But then again, other risks are the fact that people who have this problem, they're typically, they're not that healthy. I don't know about your mom, but most of my patients who have need this operation also have hypertension and diabetes. Uh, they probably have high cholesterol. And so there are other health issues and those health issues then lead to higher risk profiles. I always tell my patients, you know, if you were a 25 year old healthy person, your risk profile would be very different, but because you're 65 or 70, uh, you've got all these other things we have to worry about. Uh, and so there are other, other risks. People can actually die from an operation like that, not because of the operation, but because they're, you know, they might have coronary artery disease. Um, so there are, it's, it's, uh, uh, we, we're very good at it. You know, I, I don't want to take away from what we do. I think Western medicine is very good. Uh, it just needs to be applied in the right way. Uh, but um, uh, no one should have an operation unless, you know, they need it. And if they can avoid it uh, uh, by eating healthy and not getting the disease in the first place, that's the best approach. Yeah. It, 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 it's just after that, she got dementia and her life was just all, I'm not, I'm not blaming the operation, but, but it just seemed like I, I didn't know much about it back then. I wasn't in this field really, but I do remember her surgeon saying to me, well, oh, you're vegan. You're never going to see me. So. Yeah. 
Wow. I'm glad he knew that back then. He yeah. did know that, um, yeah. Yeah. So vascular carotid disease is, um, we, we underestimate the amount of uh, uh, problems that this can cause. We talk about de dementia a lot, and we think about Alzheimer's disease. Okay. Uh, when, when we say dementia, that's what everybody thinks about. But a great deal, if not more dementia, is caused by vascular problems than by Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. So uh, because it's causing damage to the brain, the lack of blood flow and the small damage to the brain over and over again uh, is causing damage to the brain over the course of many decades. Yeah. Wow. Well, did you want to did you want to show your slides? Because I, I could okay. just talk to you. You're very easy to talk to. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I uh, we can uh, either way. Uh, I, I, we, we've actually talked about a lot of the things that are in my uh, slide set. Mine, the slide set's a, you know, a little bit more organized as far as a presentation of vascular disease, uh, but it, it will take about 30 or 45 well, minutes. Well, no, to do. I, I'm, I'm here because you know we, repetition is the mother of skill. So I would love to hear it if you have the time. Okay, so let's do it. And then uh, we can talk and answer questions again afterwards. How's Sounds good. All right, so let me work on sharing my screen here. So uh, what I prepared for you was to talk about cardiovascular disease and nutrition. And this is really... My, my primary focus, uh, I'm a cardiovascular uh, expert. And then over the last few years, I've become an expert in nutrition as well, as, I, as, as, as we alluded to, as I've learned how important and impactful uh, nutrition is. And literally, I've come to the belief that you are what you eat. Uh, and uh, so if we eat bad food, we're going to have lots of problems. If we eat good food, we're going to prepare ourselves for the best health possible. Um, so uh, we've already discussed this. Uh, you asked me a couple of questions. I'm a vascular surgeon. Um, I treat disorders of uh, the arteries of the body, arteries and veins. Um, a, uh, so uh, there are a couple of different types of doctors that do this um, and that we treat different things. So um, uh, a cardiologist will treat the blood vessels of the heart as will a, car as will a cardiac surgeon. Uh, whereas I treat uh, all of the, uh, the blood vessels of the body, except the heart, and also except the brain, where a neurosurgeon was the one who does it inside the brain. Um, I did tell you about my story about how, how I became plant-based, uh, and, and so this is where I would normally tell that during the, during the talk, and so just I just put these up here to show how important and influential these were uh, in, in my uh, transition and, uh, and in the process. Uh, and I would recommend these things to everybody. China, the China study by T. Colin Campbell and how to prevent and reverse heart disease by Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. Um, and, and again, uh, my focus is on cardiovascular disease. Uh, 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 but the, the, the whole idea about nutrition applies across the board to all chronic diseases and cancers. So a lot of people don't even know what atherosclerosis is. And atherosclerosis is equivalent to the term heart disease. We, we, we hear the term heart disease all the time, but people don't really not necessarily know what it is. So atherosclerosis is what we call is a typical term is hardening of the arteries. It basically refers to the buildup of plaque inside the arteries, which then narrow the artery down. And those narrowings cause blockages and lack of blood flow to whatever that artery is uh, supplying. This, uh, th these slides right here, can you see my pointer? Has, can you see it moving? Okay, so uh, on this uh, thing right here, this is the, what we call a longitudinal cross-section of the artery of the leg. In this picture right here is, depicts what a normal artery would look like. Uh, the blood is flowing straight down. Here's a cross-section the other way, and the artery lumen or opening is nice and big. This here depicts what atherosclerosis does to the artery. 
here's the buildup of plaque. And then you can see that the arteries lumen or opening is narrowed. Uh, and this is a cross section of it in another way. And we can all tolerate a little bit of narrowing to some extent without any serious problems. You can think of it like uh, the pipes uh, at home in your, in your plumbing, a little bit of sludge builds up and it still works, but as more and more builds up, then there starts to be problems and it begins to affect the flow uh, beyond the blockage. Uh, and this right here on the right side is an example of that. This is what we might see early on uh, in the disease process. These are just little areas of yellow buildup of plaque and those are called fatty streaks. They're not really uh, obstructing blood flow. This is a more advanced case where the plaque is really built up and the, and the opening is quite small. And this patient here would definitely be ex exhibiting symptoms. And uh, I know depending on the part of the body that it supplies. On the far right is a, uh, just a very serious advanced life threatening problem where basically an entire opening of the artery is blocked off and there's no blood flow getting, no direct blood flow getting uh, downstream to whatever that artery was supplying. I would like to take a moment here to talk about this, just to explain something to people. When I first started, started doing this 22 years ago, the average age of my patient was around 65 to 70 years old. But if you fast forward 20 years to where I am now, I'm seeing patients in their early 50s and, uh, and early 60s as their primary age of presentation. So it's getting earlier in age. And I want to speak to that and explain why, um, at least my take on it. Uh, uh, back in the 1950s, they did some studies uh, on Korean war vets who were killed in action. And they took 300 consecutive uh, Korean war vets and did autopsies on them. And they showed that they had the, these fatty streaks uh, in their arteries. And what was interesting or what the me what's meaningful about that is that the average age of these GIs was 22 years old. So basically, by the time we were 22, we were already exhibiting the beginnings of atherosclerosis. And it's this chronic indolent thing which continues to grow over time. So the disease wasn't something that is just a disease of somebody in their 50s and 60s. It's a disease that starts in your uh, 20s uh, and then progresses over time. And now think about the fact that our diet, our standard American diet, wasn't that bad back in the 50s as compared to today. Today, we have this, uh, you know, uh, what I call this McDonald's uh, culture. And uh, McDonald's was introduced in the 60s, and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. Since then, we eat fast food, we eat processed foods, we eat lots of meat, cheese and dairy, we eat lots of oil, sugar and salt. And all of these things are bad for us. And they, uh, they rapidly accelerate this atherosclerotic process. Uh, to, to further illustrate that point, Today, we have done autopsies on children who've been killed uh, by car accidents or die for other reasons. And we're seeing that these fatty streaks are now starting to occur uh, in children as young as eight and nine years old. So you fast forward 50 or 60 or 70 years from the 1950s, and the diseases are occurring earlier. And, and interestingly enough, I learned this from a colleague of mine recently, uh, that they've done some autopsies on fetuses that were aborted. Uh, uh, from miscarriages, and they found that those, those fetuses had fatty streaks in their arteries. So now we know that this disease can start even before you're born, basically due to the diet that your mother has. So if your mother has a bad diet, you might have had fatty streaks that started when you were, uh, when you were born. So it's now, I, it makes sense why I'm seeing disease in their 50s and 60s, as opposed to tr my traditional late 60s and 70 years old. So we've seen an acceleration uh, in the presentation of this disease. 
Uh, on this side is kind of a depiction of uh, an artery uh, and the different walls it has. We have an outside layer and then we have a middle layer uh, made of muscle and then an inner layer, it's one cell layer thick and this is called the intima. The intima is extremely important. It's called the intima or endothelium and it's extremely important in the regulation of uh, processes in the blood vessels and also very important in the health of the blood vessel. Uh, and it, uh, the intima or meat, uh, or the, the intima or endothelium secretes a very important molecule called nitric oxide. And that's my favorite molecule. And I'll tell you more about it as we go along. Here's actual true histologic pictures. This is a normal artery here on the left side, nice big opening, no disease. And then this just this very thin one layer uh, thick of endothelium on the right side is a very, very diseased artery right here. This one is full of plaque and fibrous scar, uh, and the opening is only that big. So you can see it's not delivering the blood flow it needs. And even more, and even importantly as well, is there is no intima. The intima or endothelium has been destroyed. So no nitric oxide is being made at this level. Uh, so what's important about that? Well, nitric oxide is a very powerful vasodilator, which means that it opens up an artery. And that's, that's important in having uh, increasing blood flow to an organ when it needs it. Uh, and uh, also it has very powerful uh, uh, blood pressure lowering effects. So it helps regulate and keep our blood pressure low. Uh, but, and from my standpoint, what's so important about nitric oxide is that it prevents atherosclerosis. So the uh, atherosclerosis actually destroys the endothelium, which then therefore helps us or, or causes us to make less nitric oxide. And the problem there is that that nitric oxide is the very thing which helps us prevent atherosclerosis. Uh, so you can see that atherosclerosis uh, is, a, is a very bad thing and it feeds upon itself. And that might be why it accelerates as we age uh, in that as, as more blood vessels are destroyed and less nitric oxide is made, the atherosclerosis is able to accelerate at a faster uh, uh, rate as we get older. So what are the complications that we might have from having atherosclerosis? Well, uh, we, uh, if you have blockages of the coronary arteries, you can have a heart attack, um, uh, myocardial infarction. The problem, you know, and one of the big problems there is that 50% of heart attacks are fatal the first time they happen. So it's not something to be taken lightly. Uh, and, you know, because people will, I've heard people say when they're eating that triple cheeseburger, uh, well, you know, just when my time comes, I'll have a stent. Well, they might not get that opportunity. They might have a heart attack and it kills them 50% uh, uh, of the time. Uh, the other thing, and this is what we were talking about uh, a minute ago, Chef AJ, is that uh, the carotids here. Um, and this is a depiction of the buildup of plaque inside the artery uh, uh, of a carotid artery. Uh, and when I clean that out, I try to restore it and make it look like this. Uh, the, uh, the, so... Um, uh, carotid artery blockages are one of the major causes of stroke. Um, and then the, it's also a cause of dementia, as we uh, talked about. Uh, vascular dementia is a very real thing. So I, uh, I put up this really gross uh, slides here to shock people into understanding what happens when you lose blood flow to your feet. And this is one of the things I treat uh, majorly is gangrene. Um, uh, gangrene uh, occurs when there's not enough blood flow to heal something. So typically someone might bruise their, their toe or their foot. They might get a bug bite or a scratch. Um, and, uh, and then in a normal person with normal blood flow, uh, 
we have, we, we throw enough nutrients down there and oxygen and whatever else we need to heal. And we get that taken care of. But when you have blockages to the arteries, uh, you cannot heal those things. And then the, the, the problem gets worse and becomes gangrenous and, and leads to something like this. If I can restore the blood flow, uh, and as, as you asked me earlier, I do have to do interventions because the people who get to me are very late stage. Someone like this can't change their diet and reverse their problem. So, but if I can restore their blood flow, we have a good chance of saving their leg and I'm successful about 90% about of the time. But if I'm not successful, it leads to limb loss. And so amputation is a very real thing that I deal with on a regular basis. Uh, about 10% of my patients who present to me end up with an amputation because it's already too late to do anything about. So amputation is a very real problem in our society today, and it's getting worse. The numbers of amputations have been going up and up and up throughout the uh, course of my career. So uh, another interesting thing that people don't necessarily understand is that impotence is a, uh, a vascular issue. Uh, when you think about it, those, all those uh, wonderful medications that have been developed to help men with impotence, what they are is uh, very powerful vasodilators and they're very short acting though. So when you take that pill, it dilates the blood flow to the region so a man can get an erection. But it's a temporizing thing. Uh, and, and one of the main reasons they need that is because they're not getting the blood flow that they normally would get. Uh, and so therefore it's a, it's a vascular issue. So interestingly enough, 40% of men in their 40s uh, will experience impotence. 50% of men in their 50s and 60% of men in their 60s. Uh, they, these, they will experience impotence to some extent. And what's important to understand about that is that uh, it's a harbinger or an early warning sign of atherosclerosis in general. Uh, if you have it in your pelvis and you, you have impotence, well, then you might have it in your heart, you might have it in your neck, you might have it in your legs. So, uh, uh, people just don't necessarily realize that impotence is often a vascular issue. So not only does atherosclerosis lead to chronic debilitating disease, but it leads to the ultimate problem and that's death. 50% uh, of my patients are dead in five years. And it's not because I'm a bad vascular surgeon. At least that's what I hope. Okay. Um, it's because uh, all of the chronic diseases that are related to this uh, problem uh, they will succumb to it in one way or the other. They've already become so sick that we can temporize and, and manage some of their problems when they present to us. But uh, uh, in the end, uh, it's too much for us to handle. Uh, and so uh, basically the way I look at it and what I've learned is that when patients, by the time they present to me, they are in the dying phase of their life. So they're busy dying rather than uh, busy living. Uh, and we're just doing things to try to temporize that or increase their quality of life or delay their death by some something. So what causes atherosclerosis? And I've been, you know, talking about it. We've been talking about it a little bit and alluding to it, but basically atherosclerosis is a lifestyle related disease and it's related to our diet and smoking. And, a lot, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, people like to blame their genetics. Well, people also like to blame smoking. And I'd like to take a second here to address that issue in that, uh, it's really more about our lifestyle and diet than it is about only smoking. The, it, since 1964, when the Surgeon General put a label on cigarettes, uh, smoking has gone down in incidence every single year. And so we are now at the lowest incidence of smoking in our society that we have been since 1964. So basically, it's been a decreasing trend of uh, smoking. But in that same time frame, 
atherosclerosis has been getting worse and worse and worse. If, so if atherosclerosis was only related to our smoking, then we would see a decline in atherosclerosis as well. But we're not, we're seeing an increase. And we're seeing that increase because our diet has continued to get worse and worse and worse over the decades. And so this to me is a very important reflection that uh, our lifestyle and our diet is an extremely important uh, contributing factor to atherosclerosis. So what is it about our diet? Specifically, it's the cholesterol and the saturated fat and the processed foods. Uh, and, the, and the standard American diet causes inflammation. Uh, and so all of these things lead to uh, problems at a microscopic level and the deposition of plaque in our arteries. And I also bring up and talk about genetics. Um, people like to blame their genetics. They'll, they'll say, my, my dad had a heart attack, so I'm doomed to have it. My mom had a stroke, so it's in the family, so I'm bound to get it. And that, that couldn't be further from the truth because we do have control uh, over a lot of this. We don't have to live the same lifestyles that uh, our relatives lived that gave them those problems. It might be that they did have some genetic predisposition to it, but they added to it by, by eating a bad diet. So if, uh, if you change your diet and you change the way you do things, you can change the outcome or uh, you know, the trajectory of your life. So interestingly enough, they've done twin studies that kind of help you understand this. Um, if you take identical twins who were separated at birth and grew up in different circumstances in different places uh, with different diets, um, if, if genetics was what caused their problem, then they would die of the same thing at the same age if, if genetics was all that it was. But typically, you find out that they die at different ages and they die of different health problems. So that tells you that there's more than just genetics to what causes um, our disease processes. And it ha that basically is our environmental exposure. And again, nutrition being uh, the number one issue there. So let me talk a little bit more about smoking and diet and what, what happens. So what happens at the microscopic level is that these cause the cholesterol, the saturated fat uh, and smoking, they cause a direct injury uh, at the microscopic level to the wall of the artery. And that inflammation that I talked about also contributes. And what happens is we get an, a hyperimmune response at the microscopic level. And what do I mean by that? So to help you understand that, if you think about someone who gets a bug bite, uh, say a bug bite on your arm, and you get a little raised welt and a red area, and it's really itchy and tender around it. Well, what's happening is that's an immune response. We are mounting a response to a, a, the bug bite there. And so we get a little bit of pain, we get a little bit of redness, we get a little bit of uh, tenderness uh, and inflammation. Uh, and then once that bug bite is managed, it goes back to normal. Uh, similarly, something like that is happening at the microscopic level inside our blood vessels. Um, and we are recruiting blood cells uh, and immune cells, and we're getting an inflammatory response at a microscopic level. But unfortunately, it's a hyperimmune response. In other words, it doesn't just stop, probably because we continue to cause injury by keeping, by still eating the same way. If we keep depositing cholesterol and saturated fat, and if we keep smoking, we continue, we cause this continued injury. And so uh, this hyperimmune response that ends up causing uh, plaque to build up. And so you end up with an artery, like I showed you at the beginning of this uh, slide set, where the opening has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And so that's how, how it happens at a microscopic level. Uh, 
And, and, and as I said, this is largely started by cholesterol and saturated fat. And then, so there are direct injury uh, by specific things, but then the other chronic diseases that are known risk factors and contribute to the development of atherosclerosis also. And these are obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. And these things also cause injury to the blood vessels and contribute to it. So our diet causes the direct injury itself and our diet causes obesity, diabetes, and hypertension, which then leads to atherosclerosis as well. So what have we been doing to treat this? Well, uh, I was taught a very classic approach, which is let's throw medications and surgeries at it. And we do this for the course of a lifetime of people. And well, the problem with this is we're just plugging holes and putting out fires and we are managing diseases, but we're not curing diseases. So if I give you a pill for diabetes or I give you a pill for hypertension, um, you still have diabetes and you still have hypertension, okay? We're just managing them. And so there are still, there is still damage being done to the body by that hypertension and by that diabetes. So it's, it's not causing the problems to go away. We're just managing it. Uh, and what we, so this, and then again, like I told you, I might do an angioplasty or a stent or a bypass. And all I've done is bypass that one particular problem or fix that one particular problem. But the disease process, atherosclerosis, this chronic disease continues to move forward uh, at an indolent, slow pace, just causing damage. Um, so that's kind of our modern approach to it. And that's what we uh, have been taught to do. And, and this approach, uh, the disease numbers are continuing to increase. The treatment costs are skyrocketing. Um, and basically, again, it does not address the root cause of disease, which is our lifestyle choices. So uh, basically, uh, is there a better way to prevent and treat atherosclerosis? Well, that's what I've been getting to uh, uh, with this whole talk is that, yes, there is. Uh, and... Uh, I will briefly talk about two of my heroes. Uh, Dr. Dean Ornish did a study back in the late 80s where he took people with coronary artery disease uh, and he split them into two groups. One got the best medical treatment at the time. The other one got an intensive lifestyle uh, uh, changes, which included a plant-based diet and meditation, stress management, and getting better sleep. And lo and behold, the standard group, they got worse because that's what you would expect the standard American group to get. They got worse, they had lots of heart attacks, they continued to have uh, problems, some died. In Dean Ornish's treatment group, they got better. Uh, and they, they proved this angiographically by, by doing angiograms again, and they showed that there was less disease. But not only did they show there was less disease, they had less heart attacks and they had less uh, deaths. So this uh, lifestyle changes, which is uh, the, the main crux of it, is the change to a plant-based, whole food plant-based diet. Um, does change the outcome. You can change the trajectory. People with already bad disease in their coronary arteries, you can reduce that disease and have less events. Um, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn also has, has shown this. Uh, and I pointed out his book earlier, How to Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. And this is just one example of a colleague of his who was a, a physician with him at uh, the Cleveland Clinic, where uh, after two and a half years on a whole food plant-based diet, the, this disease segment of the coronary artery right here uh, got normal again. Uh, and to me, that was completely astounding because I had never been taught that and never seen anything like it. Uh, and the fact that it can happen is amazing to me. So what were these changes that the people made? Well, uh, the whole food plant-based diet uh, uh, is a diet that consists of vegetables, fruit, whole grains, and legumes. Um, I stress green leafy vegetables because 
green leafy vegetables help our body make nitric oxide. And I've told you how important I think nitric oxide is for our arterial health. Uh, so the green leafy vegetables uh, uh, increase the production of nitric oxide within our bodies. Uh, interestingly enough, my favorite right here, it's, I didn't like arugula growing up. It's, uh, it was too peppery for me, a little too spicy, but I've grown to love it. And I think there's a lot of psychology behind it because arugula has some of the highest nitric oxide producing potential in our body. And so I eat a lot of arugula on a daily basis and I, I, I stress it for my patients. But uh, arugula, spinach, all of the green leafy vegetables are extremely important. So a whole, uh, and a whole, whole food plant-based diet also includes starches, including potatoes, rice, and whole grains. I'm very careful about what I say about nuts and seeds. I think if you are trying to reverse atherosclerosis, you need to not take in any significant sources of exogenous oil. So I would eliminate nuts and seeds in that case. Now, on the other hand, if you're a 20 year old and you live a healthy whole food plant-based lifestyle for your entire life, you can incorporate nuts and seeds into your diet. Uh, and, and that's my approach, basically. It depends on what your intent is, is it, uh, and where are you coming from? And then of course, uh, uh, minimize, or in my opinion, eliminate processed foods. So what foods are not included? Uh, meats and fishes, uh, dairy, such as milk and cheese. So meat and fish are uh, sources of saturated fat and cholesterol. Dairy is uh, a source of saturated fat. Uh, eggs are a source of cholesterol. Highly processed foods such as added oils are uh, not a part of this diet and salt and sugar are not a part of this diet. Highly, um, oils have no, in my opinion, have no nutritional benefit and um, they are a highly processed food and they are nothing but empty calories. So I don't think that we should uh, be using uh, oils. Uh, and then salt is probably the number one contributor to hypertension in our society. Uh, and then sugar is extremely inflammatory. So I don't think that we should be using uh, uh, outside sugar. Um, so there's been decades of research that show the harmful effects of consuming animal products and processed foods. This is not a secret. Everything I'm talking about today is evidence-based. And there's thousands of studies that have shown the benefit of consuming plant-based foods. And there's not a single study that's shown that there's any deadly effects of consuming fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. And the reason I bring this up is because it's very interesting. I talked a little bit about that warning label that the Surgeon General put on uh, tobacco. Uh, it took over 7,000 studies before the Surgeon General was willing to uh, put that label on tobacco, uh, on cigarette packages. And that tells you the influence that these industries have uh, and dis despite all the evidence that's out there, they were able to keep the public in the dark for many, many decades. Uh, and it took 7,000 studies for the, for the Surgeon General to put that label on there. And I think we're kind of in the same place today. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of studies that show the harmful effects of meat and meat products. And we have thousands of studies that show the beneficial effects of plant-based foods. Yet we are not labeling meat in any bad way and we're not labeling plant-based foods as healthy. Uh, and so uh, I, can, I call meat uh, the modern day tobacco. That's kind of one of the things I call it. Uh, so, I, I, so really kind of started, I start to wrap things up. We are a pill popping nation. Um, we, there's a pill or a surgery for every ailment, but these things don't address the underlying cause of disease. And really, if we want to change things and if we want to positively affect things, we must begin by changing the way we eat. This is a, a fun cartoon, and this is supposed to be Dr. Dean Ornish here. Uh, and I attribute this cartoon to him. 
basically these doctors are mopping up the floor because there's a lot of water on the floor. Uh, and so they're just spending all their time mopping up the floor. But if they really wanted to take care of the problem, what they do is come over here and turn off the sink because that's the source of the problem. The problem is not the water on the floor. The problem is the sink. And so we really have to go to the source. So here's just some uh, examples of whole plant-based foods. Uh, and I won't go over this. I, I hope that our audience today has a lot of experience with this. Um, I have a bunch of pictures here. Just uh, I wanted to share with you. This is one of my favorites. I eat this several times a week. Uh, so don't be afraid of uh, starches and potatoes. Um, I usually top my potato with lentils or beans or uh, chickpeas. So let me take just a minute to talk about nutrient composition. Uh, uh, in, on the right side here is the nutrient composition uh, of a 500 calorie animal-based meal. And this is a 500 calorie plant-based meal. And here's some interesting facts about it. A plant-based meal has zero cholesterol. Uh, the animal-based meal has about 200 milligrams. A plant-based meal has a, a reasonable amount of fat. An animal-based meal has 36 grams of fat. Now, here's an important thing. Protein. Both 500-calorie meals have the same amount of protein. People don't realize that you can get, you get plenty of protein, you get all the protein you need from plant-based vegan meals. There is not a protein deficiency in the vegan and plant-based community, okay? Uh, but here's where a deficiency exists in the standard American population, and that's fiber. In a plant-based meal, you get 31 grams of fiber, but in an animal-based meal, basically zero grams of fiber. And that's why 97% of Americans are fiber deficient. So uh, uh, an, uh, an, uh, a plant-based meal is good because I, I encourage fiber and, and fiber is extremely healthy for us. And then the rest of this here is, you know, phytonutrients, vitamins and minerals and antioxidants. The, the plant-based meal is just chock full of all of these things, whereas there's a paucity of these things in the animal-based meal. And so uh, I'm going to address a couple of things in particular. One is cholesterol. Um, uh, you saw that, uh, plant-based foods do not have cholesterol. And I, I propose that we were never meant to eat exogenous cholesterol. That means we were never supposed to be taking cholesterol and putting it in our mouth. And the source of that cholesterol is animal-based foods and eggs. Um, what happens is if we eat a plant-based meal, our natural cholesterol is below 150. Typically, uh, if we are eating a standard American diet, we have a hard time keeping a cholesterol of 200. Uh, and, uh, I find this very interesting when they determined what the, what the average cholesterol of an American should be, they took a cross section of Americans, uh, and took the average and came up with 200 as a number. But if your cholesterol is 200, you have a 40% chance of having a cardiovascular event in your lifetime. So why would we want that? Okay. But what we have shown is that if your cholesterol is less than 150, which is what you will achieve on a plant-based diet your risk of a cardiovascular event drops to somewhere around 5%. So you have drastically reduced your uh, risk of cardiovascular events. Uh, and so really you should be shooting for a cholesterol of 150, not a cholesterol of 200. Um, and then fiber, uh, the standard American diet is uh, devoid of fiber and Americans are fiber deficient and fiber is ever so important. They've shown that uh, there are African communities where their fiber intake is 50 to 100 grams a day, uh, and they are essentially heart attack proof. Um, so fiber is found in every plant food. It helps eliminate toxins. It binds fats and cholesterols and helps you eliminate them without being absorbed. Uh, and it helps with satiety. Um, it is food for our probiotics. Uh, so it feeds our gut bacteria. Um, and fiber is not found in animal-based foods. So 
if you want to increase your fiber and be healthier, you need to eat plant-based foods. So I like to talk about calorie density too. Uh, we eat three to five pounds of food a day. Uh, and if uh, you take a look at this line here in the middle of this picture, everything to the right of that line is pretty much uh, animal-based products, except for the nuts and seeds here. Uh, and I've I'll talk about that in a second. Everything to the left of the line is plant-based foods, legumes, starches, fruits, and vegetables. Um, and so if you are a plant-based person, and this is where you get most of your foods from, you can eat three or four pounds of food a day and not overeat. If you are eating the standard American diet, you're mostly centered on this side of the graph, and you're going to get thousands and thousands of calories. So you can see why we are an obese society today, because we eat calorie rich foods, uh, which are, and, and not only that, as you may have seen, I just showed you about the nutrition and the nutritional benefits. These foods on the right side are nutrition poor. The foods on the left side are high in nutrition. So you can have get high nutrition and lower calorie by staying on the left side, uh, as opposed to the right side. Uh, now I talk about nuts and seeds, as I've told you before, if you're trying to reduce atherosclerosis, you should eliminate those from your diet, but also nuts and seeds are high in fat content. So I tell people who do eat those as a part of their diet to limit the amount they eat to maybe just one or two ounces a day. Don't overdo the amount of, uh, nuts and seeds that you take in. Uh, this is another example of calorie density and it might help people understand about satiety. Um, right here, 400 calories of oil. That's just three teaspoons, about three and a half, I'm sorry, three and a half tablespoons of oil. Uh, it doesn't do anything. And it's not unusual for someone to cook something with three and a half tablespoons of oil if you go to a restaurant and it doesn't fill you up. Um, but you go all the way to the other side here. Here's 400 calories of fruits and vegetables. It really fills you up and helps you feel uh, uh, satiated. So, you, and, and so the, the plant-based foods do a good job of filling you up. The animal-based foods do not do a good job of filling you up. So you'll want to eat more. Um, and then I spend just a couple of seconds here on carbs. Carbs have been demonized in our society. A plant-based diet is mostly carbohydrates, um, but they are healthy carbohydrates. And that means that they are the whole food. Uh, they're taken in their natural form. They've got the, uh, the healthy starches and the healthy sugars and they're absorbed with the fiber and everything else that comes in the plant, uh, in the plant food. And so I, I, I put this up to show the distinction. This, these carbs here on the right side, they're very unhealthy. There's candy, soda, pastries, sugary cereals, white rice, uh, white flour pastas and white breads. Interestingly enough, this thing about pastries and, and, and even potato chips, people call those carbohydrates, but the reality is they're carbohydrates fried in oil. So they actually become more of an oil-based product than a carbohydrate. And so they're, they're very high in calorie and they're very unhealthy for you. On the other hand, we have healthy carbs, beans, lentils, and peas, starchy vegetables, such as potatoes, uh, the green leafy vegetables, fruits, those are all healthy for you uh, and nothing wrong with eating those and consuming those. So let me uh, bring this to a conclusion. Um, uh, cardiovascular disease affects over a million people a year with 650,000 cardiac deaths, 140,000 strokes, over 200,000 amputations. That right there is a million. And that doesn't include the dementia, which is in the millions, impotence, which is in the millions. And I haven't even addressed kidney failure today, which a good deal of that is vascular. So it's the number one cause of death and disability in America. It affects millions of people. Um, and basically, 
after the age of 50, we're busy dying, as I, I pointed out. We're not busy living. Uh, my patients are spending their waning years in and out of hospitals, having operations, not having a good lifestyle, spending all of their money on their health care. Um, uh, health care is the number one cause of bankruptcy in our elderly today. Um, so we all have atherosclerosis to some extent. And now that you know that, what are you going to do about it is basically what I tell people. I want to take just a second to talk about um, some of these things in light of COVID-19. In uh, uh, the risk factors that I talked about for atherosclerosis being cardi uh, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, obesity, and diabetes, those are all the same risk factors that we now know put you at higher risk for succumbing to COVID-19. If you have one of those comorbid conditions, you have a higher risk of dying from, from COVID-19. And so I think that it's important to understand coexistent chronic diseases make you sicker and uh, less healthy and more at risk for di from dying from COVID-19. So it's, uh, I, I think that we should understand that living a healthier lifestyle and eating a healthier diet through a whole food plant-based diet can decrease these comorbidities and make us less at risk for COVID-19. So even if you get it, you're not going to get as sick and you're not going to die from it if you don't have uh, diabetes and hypertension and obesity. And it's not too late to make a change because as I pointed out, you know, you make a change in your diet and these things go away very quickly. Within a few weeks to a few months, you can improve your hypertension, improve your diabetes and lose weight. So I wanna uh, thank you very much for allowing me to give this presentation. If you wanna learn more, I have a, a free PDF guide which you can download from our website. Uh, and if you just go to plantbaseddfw.com, you can download it from there. Thank you very much, Chef AJ. That's mind blowing. And I don't think people realize that 50% of, of heart attacks end in death. It is. And then I get that all the time. The, you know, the ones who kind of want to not give me a lot of credibility about what they're saying, they'll say, nah, doc, whenever that happens, I'll just get my stents and I'll be fine. Uh, and they don't understand. Well, if you get that heart attack, one in two of you is going to die. You're not going to get that chance to get those stents and feel better. Yeah. You know? And also once you start down that stent path, you're already uh, going down a pathway of life, which isn't very good. Yeah. I mean, I think of James Gandolfini, you know, he had a heart attack, he died. Yes. Yes. You know. uh -huh. Absolutely. I pat myself on the back. We're really good at Western medicine, but, but that's not, should, that shouldn't be the route we go. Let's not wait to get sick and then hope that some doctor is going to be able to take care of you because you know, that's just not, the, that's just not the prudent approach to life. You, you really need to try to prevent these diseases from occurring and not get them. Uh, because it changes everything. It almost in some ways would be better if some of these procedures and pills weren't created because then the onus would be on the person to actually do something. Yeah, well, we have, we have so many driving forces behind that. Big industry is a lot of that. When you do that operation to scrape this stuff out, what, what, what's in there? What does it look like? Well, I actually have pictures if I could, I could share with you, but I, I don't know how to get them on there right now. But um, I, the, it's a... For me, I've, I've become quite used to it because I've done hundreds, if not thousands of these operations. Uh, but when I do show, I do make a point to take that, it's called plaque. Um, when I take that plaque out of the artery, I put it off to the side and I put it in a sterile cup and I take it out to show the family because that makes an impact. When they see what I took out of their family member's neck, they go, oh my God, I didn't realize it. Um, and and, it, and it's, a, it's a yellow, rubbery, fibrous, and sometimes calcified, very hard piece of plaque. That's about the size of my pinky. 
that I take out of the artery uh, and blocking uh, blocking flow to the brain. Yeah. So it's, it, it can, I, I, I like, I like the shock value it has because that's when I can actually get people to start listening to me. When they see that, then they begin to become more engaged in, in uh, trying to do things to change, uh, change so that they don't get it too. Yeah. Maybe you can take a picture and you can say, this is your brain on animal products. <laughs> That's right. Like your brain on crack. Yeah, absolutely. So lots of questions. So let's see, they, they, they go really fast. So I'll try to get as many as I can that you have time for. Julie says, what's your take on the role of exercise? Um, so I'm a strong lifestyle advocate. And so I think exercise is important. Um, I do think I, I do put an emphasis on uh, diet. And I do say diet above exercise, but it doesn't mean either or. So I, I, I like people to uh, uh, change their diet, become a healthier in their diet. And then I, I also want people to incorporate healthy exercise into their uh, lifestyle. And so I do tell people to do 30 minutes of uh, cardio at least five times a week. So I think it's extremely important. Great. Linda says, what do you think of maple syrup or date syrup? You know, these are, we're talking about, they are processed. So you're, you're getting an increased uh, number of calories into a, uh, you know, into that uh, syrup. Um, so I, I will use dates, uh, like to sweeten my smoothies or something like that. Um, but I don't encourage uh, syrups and stuff like that. Great. People, uh, Tiffany says you have an indoor garden that we should ask you about. Well, I do. I, um, I, I've gotten into hydroponics this year and uh, the, uh, the kind of the self-isolation quarantine gave me uh, an opportunity to spend some time on that. Um, I just, uh, I like the idea of being able to grow my own fruits, uh, mostly vegetables. Uh, and so I started growing a lot of lettuces and kale. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and in fact, uh, if you want to learn more, we have a, we did a YouTube series on it uh, and they can go to our website and from there find our YouTube channel. Uh, and I've got a lot of stuff on uh, hydroponics there. Yeah. Neat. Thank you. Uh, Florence says, will you ever open a center like True North? You know, I, I'm a, I'm a specialist. And, and so it's, it's, I'm not a primary care physician. Um, I do get a lot of satisfaction from helping people. And I have patients that I've taken in my own practice and gotten them off their medications or hypertension medicines and their diabetes medicines, but I don't manage, I'm not, I'm not a primary care doctor. So I don't typically primarily manage a patient and all of their medical issues. Um, I think that I, that's a, that's a personal question, but I can answer it, answer it personally is I do get a lot of personal satisfaction from being able to operate and help people, uh, because they are, have, they have acute problems. And, um, and so I don't, I'm not ready to give that up yet, but I think that there'll come a day when I'm not a surgeon anymore. Uh, and I will transition maybe into a different, uh, practice model. Hey, Ellsworth Wareham, Ellsworth Wareham operated till he was almost a hundred. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's neat. Well, because, yeah, you can do lifestyle medicine. That'd be amazing. I mean, I, I incorporate lifestyle medicine into my practice daily for all my patients. Uh, and but I do it from the standpoint of a, a specialist. Um, I do. I'm, I'm eager and I'm excited that more and more people are coming on board. And um, I do want my patients to who are uh, on board and like minded. I want them to find a doctor that supports them. And that, that is hard. Uh, sometimes the doctor's are, are, you know, they give them a hard time about being a vegan or being plant-based. And, and I don't like that uh, because, and that's because they don't understand the physician themselves don't understand. So I hope that more physicians come on board and, and are there as resources for our patients. Um, 
And so I'll continue to be that as, as much as I can within, you know, my specialty. Yeah, I think when you have an unsupportive doctor, it's like when you have an unsupportive spouse, time to look for a new one. <laughs> yes, yes. And I do. And I do have resources for my patients. If they come to me saying I need a new doctor, I don't send them to a new one, but um, I do have doctors I can send them to. And then also in the community, I have lots of people who come to me uh, and we have some local physicians we can use. I just wish we had more. Yeah. Blue says, how does marijuana affect our cardiovascular health? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I have not heard. The only way I can answer that is to say that I know of no studies that talk about uh, the deleterious effects of marijuana on the cardiovascular system. Are there any that show positive effects? No. So I know of no studies. Um, I I think if I'd seen a study that talked about it, I would have remembered it and then I could tell you about it. So otherwise, I have no information for you on that. I do know for people that are food addicts, it's very deleterious. And we'll be hosting the Truth About Weight Loss Summit again next year. And Dr. Tarman will talk about how it's horrible for people that have food issues or weight issues. It's the worst. That Is that because they get the munchies? Well, part of that, but also because they're already addicts. And it's like when you're an oh. addict, you don't want to be doing anything that's addictive, you know? So, yeah, yeah she, she has some nice research on that. She runs an inpatient treatment center. So I just, where did that go? Something, oh, uh, Trina says, my cholesterol has gone up in the four years over that I've been plant-based. How can that be? Hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, when stuff like that happens, um, that's, not, that's, that's the odd occurrence, okay? The vast majority of people who go plant-based, their cholesterol just falls off a cliff. It goes from 220, 230 to 170, 150, 140, 130. So that would be an unusual case. And when those unusual cases pop up, you do start to think about, okay, is there some genetic component to it? But also sometimes in her particular case, the red flag that's raised is she says it went up. Now that doesn't make sense because if you're not taking in any cholesterol, uh, oh, uh, then why did it go up? So that's when I say someone, they need to do a, what's called a deeper dive into their diet, a true analysis. And that's where a plant-based nutritionist uh, would be helpful because they can help sit with you and analyze everything you're putting in your mouth uh, over a period of time and, and try to understand. Sometimes people don't realize where they're sneaking, n- not on purpose, but by accident, putting things into their body that they don't know they're doing. You know, uh, when you eat out, they don't, they may not realize that there's some saturated fat in that food or, uh, or some processed food that they ate. Um, and so, uh, that would be, I would suggest if that's a concern that she, uh, get referred to a, uh, well-informed plant-based, uh, uh, nutritionist or dietitian and, and look deeper into that. It's funny that you said that about the food sneaking in at restaurants. I remember a good friend of mine, her father was following this diet, you know, that she said perfectly. And yet he had a heart attack. And so she made me call doctor. I don't like to do this, but I did for her. She's like my best friend, Dr. Esselstyn. And I said, you know, he had a heart attack. He's following your diet perfectly. And he goes, Dr. Esselstyn says, does he eat at restaurants? I go, yeah, like three times a week. He goes, well, he's not following my diet then. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I worked I mean, at a restaurant. You can't get an oil-free meal. I'm sorry. It's not possible. The cook, I mean, I worked at a restaurant there's no way i mean maybe a dry salad but everything else all everything else what do you think they use another pot that didn't have the residual oil you think they use when they're boiling or steaming or whatever it's already got oil in it so i I don't believe that you get an oil-free meal i'm sorry no i agree i agree completely when you eat out and somebody else is making your food for you you have lost control and you don't necessarily know exactly what's going in there you know the healthiest way to eat is to make your own food yeah does weight have any effect on cholesterol um, 
No, not that I'm aware of. Uh, there's, it's not like, uh, I mean, there's a correlation that the, you know, the higher your weight, the higher your cholesterol, but that's not because of the weight. It's because of what you're doing to cause you to gain weight also causes you to have a higher cholesterol. Because Rebecca said, is there any correlation between cholesterol and blood pressure if one's low as the other one low? I don't think so. No, I don't know. no, no correlation there as well. Yeah. Right. I don't think there's any causative effect. Okay. And I, the question is about alcohol. I'm sorry. I don't know who asked it because the, the thing's going quickly, but what do you think about alcohol? You know, I adhere to a, a kind of a, a lifestyle medicine approach, which I, I recommend people avoid risky behaviors and toxic behaviors. And so I'm not, I don't recommend alcohol. Um, now, uh, there are what we consider, and, and, and uh, just to be quite frank, so this is, there's, uh, you know, people talk about, okay, taking in a couple of glasses of red wine a day and it's good for your cardiovascular health. Well, that has to do with something called resveratrol. Well, you can get your resveratrol from other sources. You can eat red grapes uh, and get plenty of resveratrol. So you don't have to drink wine. You shouldn't use that as your excuse to get more resveratrol in your diet. Um, and then uh, we do know that there's a number of uh, cancers that are definitely proven to occur because of alcohol consumption. And so I, in my opinion, alcohol is something that should be avoided. Now the, the recommendations are if, uh, what's the maximum allowable? Well, for a woman, it's one drink a day and for a man, it's two drinks a day. Uh, but again, if you're doing that on a regular basis every single day, that's, that's probably a problem as well. Um, so the, the bottom line is it's not recommended. Right. Well, I love what you said about oil because there's this new breed of younger plant-based doctors that are just really promoting the heck out of it is not only good for your health, but good for preventing dementia and good for heart disease. And even if it was, which I don't believe, do they not understand that like 75% of the world is overweight or obese? Who are all these people that are eating oil? And, and yeah. being normal weight. I don't know any of them. Yeah, I think we have to be careful on how we recommend things. Um, you know, and also it depends on what direction you're coming from. I mean, I'm coming from the direction of cardiovascular health. So very clearly, oil intake from my perspective is uh, something of concern. And I know that I see what they're talking about. Um, and there's not been any good studies uh, that talk about, uh, you know, uh, oil intake and being uh, from a cardiovascular standpoint. Um, I see that they're talking about, uh, some oil intake from the standpoint of uh, mental health or brain health. And, uh, but again, again, that's that perspective, but then what does it do, uh, when, you know, you talk about from the whole body perspective, all the other things that are going on and the fact that, uh, just like you said, uh, 70, you know, 70% of the world is overweight. Uh, and those 70%, they're just going to use that as justification for taking oil in uh, instead of changing the way they do things. Yeah. A couple of people are asking about LP and then a little A and what your thoughts are about it and how they can lower theirs. Well, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, there's, uh, and I've gotten that question before because there's no medications that help that. Uh, and uh, there's some thought that that does increase your cardiovascular risk pro, uh, profile. And I don't have a good answer for anybody right now. There's no, um, there's uh, not a lot out there. But what I will say is in light of um, if you, I would, I would think that a whole food plant-based diet is going to be the healthiest approach, even for that, for somebody with a elevated LP little a, because you're creating a healthier body on all fronts. 
Uh, and so if this is one particular issue that you have to deal with that you can't affect, at least you've uh, improved everything else in your body, thus making yourself healthier. And so that's Great. what I, that's the best I can say right now. A few people are asking about leg vein problems. One says they're a vein in their left leg gets hot. Randy says varicose vein problems, concern about other problems. Is that something you deal with as a vascular surgeon? I do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, typically, um, interestingly enough, we've kind of made a disease out of something which isn't necessarily a disease. Lots of people have varicose veins, uh, and uh, uh, it's a consequence of uh, the way we are. We stand upright, uh, we put more pressure on our veins and our legs, and over time, some of these veins dilate and get bigger. Um, and then, of course, we do we can exacerbate it and make it worse through other health conditions. Um, and so, uh, the vast majority of varicose veins don't need an operation. Most people can manage that by again, losing the, one of the main reasons is being overweight. Um, and another reason is, get, uh, is, uh, retaining fluids. So, uh, a healthy lifestyle can improve those things. And then, uh, most patients are managed well with wearing firm compression stockings. Uh, and we reserve operations for dealing with them, uh, for people who have continued chronic problems. Great. So a bunch of questions on AFib, flutter, and angina, all the A's. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and I, I can try to answer those. Those are cardiac issues, and I'm not a heart doctor, but I, I know a lot about that stuff, if there's anything in particular. They're just saying, what are your thoughts about them? My thoughts are, oh. avoid them if you can. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Uh, you know, um, those are a, AFib and A-flutter are, are rhythm disturbances in the heart, and uh, I, I don't know if there's any good data that talks about uh, the impact of a, a plant-based diet on those. We don't have any good information on that yet. Great. So I think I've got to all the questions. It's so fun talking to you. So where would you like people to go? To your website, to your YouTube? Where would you like people to go? And hopefully not to your operating room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I always tell people, I hope I don't ever have to see you in my operating room again. I'm trying to put myself out of business, really. Uh, and I, I, I think I'm, uh, I'm not going to because there's plenty of that disease around but I'd be happy if I can get a few people to not be on my table in the future. As far as finding out more about what we do and learning more stuff, the easiest place to go, you know, we have a, uh, as I told you, we have a, a YouTube channel, we have a podcast, uh, we've been going for a couple of years. Um, uh, we also have an Instagram and a Facebook, but the easiest way to find all of that stuff is just to go to our, our website, uh, which was uh, in the slide presentation, but it's plantbaseddfw.com. And from there, uh, you can, uh, hit any of those resources. We've got lots of information. We've got some recipes. Uh, you got my cardiovascular guide you can download, uh, and you can, it's, it's a good starting point. We hope to be a resource for the community, uh, and, and go from there. Yeah, well, all that'll be in the show notes. Well, thank you so much because I love everything you said. You know, there's a doctor that I really admire named uh, Dr. Ellen Goldhammer. He's one of my mentors. And he says, I assess uh -huh. a person's intelligence by the degree to which they agree with me. And I agree with <laughs> absolutely everything you said today. So thank you for what you said <laughs> nutritionally. I, I love that you had this no-nonsense, common-sense approach. And I love that your calorie density chart was left to right because so many of them are up to down. People read left to right. So I have the mm. vertical left red line too. So kudos for that. Well, 
Chef AJ, thank you so much for having me. I've been ex- I've been waiting, and I was very excited to join you. And I'm glad we could make this happen. Well, it was my pleasure. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. You've been listening to the Plant Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.